they're big shots. I can remember we were on NATO Parkway, which used to be called Front, I think, by my dad and I, and we were behind a limousine, and the light turned green, and the limousine didn't move, and the back door opened up, and this big guy comes out, and he comes to the window, and it's the governor, this guy named Bob Straub, and he's like, John, you old son of a bitch, how you doing? And I can remember just looking over at my dad, just being like, holy shit, this guy is the man. This is pdxpodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. That was the one and only Leather Stores. He's the chef and co-owner of Noble Rot. Now that was Leather talking about John Whitmore Stores, who was a prominent architect in the Northwest. So today we have a sit down with Leather, and boy, he overshares, and we love that. He talks about food, addiction, and family. You're listening to the Weekly Portland Podcast at pdxpodcast.com, also northwestpodcast.com. Also, we have a new shorter URL. It's called pdxpod.com. Back to Leather. Now we learn a little bit more about Noble Rot. It's a lovely spot, um, and I was really fortunate to get in here. I was, I was in on the, on the beginning when the, when the restaurant was being built. Our original location was over on 28th and Ankeny. And then um, the, our architect, a guy named Kevin Cavanaugh, who's, who's crushing it in Portland and doing a lot of really neat projects, told me he was building this lead platinum building that was going to have a green roof and that he thought a restaurant on the top floor would be terrific. And I agreed. So I was, I was able to kind of have my finger in a lot of the design. Yeah, our gardener's name is Marc Boucher Colbert. He's a French-Canadian uh, and a lovely man and a really, really sharp uh, gardener. I met him on the board of directors at a place called Zenger Farm, <laughs> which is out Foster Road. And uh, originally it was his farm, and he was doing a CSA. And we had a board of directors to try to enrich uh, the property and get some of the some greenhouses and things like that. And I just was, I was such an admirer of his, tireless. And uh, on the roof, what he does uh, is, is we work together to pick varietals. In fact, he's coming in tomorrow, and we'll go through the seed catalog and... Uh, pick out what we want to grow next year and he starts everything uh and he schedules everything when you have a small plot uh you can't put all your beans in at once obviously you know we've got uh, a lot of perennial herbs and uh, we grow some fruits we got rhubarb we have a big fig tree you know we've got bugs we've got slugs we don't have any rodents we do have birds the birds are more a nuisance than anything else they like to just kind of pull starts out of the ground just to mess with us i think but everything comes in on starts eventually you get you get all the past everyone has. And uh, unfortunately, the great irony of this building being a green building and having its own aquifer is that the water that we use, which is lovely and mineral rich, is not great for our plants. It's, it's loaded, as I said, with salts and minerals, and it's a little basic in terms of pH. So come like the end of August, when we're really not getting any rain and only irrigating with our own water, the plants really struggle. I mean, we have free water that kills our plants. And, uh, you know, we, we struggle. We have filters that we use. We acidulate with, uh, with spent coffee grounds. Um, it's just kind of one of the, one of the little jokes of this, of this restaurant.
Um, the back fence is, is uh, kind of like the moth, kind of a local version oh, yeah. of the storytelling. And um, I was invited to do a story uh, by a guy named Matt Brown, who introduced me to be, to Frayne Masters, who is the producer, and she really didn't have any idea what was going to happen. And, and I think that the subject was it's going to get worse or, you know, it's about to get worse. It, yeah. And, uh, you know, so I ran this story by her and she just sat there slack jawed. And, and so that we're not talking about something with, with no back, the, the, the story is that the restaurant I put in here originally, which is a restaurant called Rocket, Rocket. and which was a very highfalutin mm, uh, molecular gastronomy you know, it was uh, it was food that was very attractive to somebody who wanted to impress themselves on food. Masturbatory is is, is the term that I use, and it, it's exactly it's like look 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 what I can do, um, and you get away from what what dining is about, which is comforting people and feeding people and 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 uh, being hospitable. Uh, and I just thought I was the shit, and uh, I got so beat down, so pummeled um, by the press. And uh, it lets also throw into the mix the fact that, that I ha- had a drinking problem. I haven't drunk for seven years, but that was nicely dovetailing with the, the failure of this restaurant. Uh, and then when I got tired of drinking and decided to stop that, then I started playing video poker. And that's a motherfucker, excuse me. But uh, that's the one that really cut your legs out. I had this cook named Sandro, wonderful, and lovely man, just fully invested in life, but, but just a mess a mess and he would always say for me to learn it has to hurt and he's right you know and for somebody who grew up on the west side of portland who was very sheltered was an only child who was told that he was terrific and he was rescued from problems that he made it was easy to maintain this notion of elitism and superiority and so i had to get i had to get gut punched and so that's what happened, you know. I just about lost. I just about lost everything, including my life. And um, yeah, it. it um, what it really did, and I'm extremely thankful for this, is it sort of sunk me down in the human stew, and it made me feel like I wasn't alone. Like, like yeah, other people have these experiences, and you 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 can't really you can say that, you know, and you can talk shit about that and be like, oh yeah, I understand the plight of this, that, and the other thing. But that's lip service. I did go to AA, and I didn't cotton to it, really. And I didn't... It wasn't that I was lazy and that I didn't feel like I needed to do the steps, but there was a regimen to it and and a kind of a requirement in a faith that I found hollow. And I also went to a group that was unusually clicky. You know, sort of under the guise of being welcoming and open, there there were these kind of unwritten rules. And so that felt odd as well. Um, and I just, I just stopped. And I finally got to this place where I could understand the course. Like, a beer, great. And then you just start, to, and then I just start to feed, you know, and get right to the click, and then it's downhill. Yeah. And so I finally got to the place where I can see that whole procession. Um, and the gambling, I, you know, that, that was, was good timing because I was really depressed. And... It was one of these things that depressed. I was depressed about the restaurant and I was depressed, I think, because of drinking. And I, you know, I, I took an antidepressant for a while. I, I, I don't do that anymore. But and I've always been pretty candid. I just uh, 
I don't feel like it should be a secret. I think, I, you know, as my mom said to me many years ago, yeah, everybody has a story, and it's crazy. It's crazy. And that's mine. And by, by, by kind of reminding myself of it, I, I think I remain vigilant. And I think I, I, you know, it's not that I'm dredging stuff up, and it's not that I'm trying to wallow. It's just, holy shit, that was a firestorm, and I'm through it. So, I, you know, and, and I'm not bragging. Yeah. Um, and I don't feel like an evangelist. I don't know. I guess I don't, I don't need, I, I overshare. Let's say that. <laughs> Dad was in high school. He was voted most nonchalant. John Stores. John Stores. John Whitmore Stores. Uh, tallest, best dressed, and most nonchalant. And he was. He was. He's a smooth operator and very clever. Yeah. And he was. He had a really strong sense of the kind of architecture he wanted to do. He admired this fellow named Pietro Belushi. I'm glad you like that. <laughs> There's plenty more partial bottles we can knock into. Um, and he really embraced the material around here. And that's, that's a theme that you see happening just recently in food, this idea of cooking from the place. But his architecture was about the place and about recognizing the situation in terms of where you put something and recognizing the environment around it and the materials. He stopped doing architecture when we moved to London, which was in 75. And my mom was a teaching physician uh, at St. John's and we lived in Kensington uh, in a muse house there, right next to the guy who illustrated Paddington Bear. And, uh, yeah. Um, and uh, so we, I was, we were there for six months. And my mom loves to tell a story about the Montessori school just, like, throwing me at my mother when I, when, as soon as they got, they got there because they said I was just awful, a rotten child. But my dad volunteered to, to be a lecturer at the architecture college several in London and everyone sort of politely declined um, and so he went to cooking school That's uh, right. uh, when we were there yeah yeah he went to uh, Leith's uh, school of wine and cooking I think it was called and um, and as my mom said she goes you know it changed his life and she said and it changed yours too uh, and after that he didn't do as much architecture he did a, a few more homes but like his real hard charging, big stuff, kind of front of the brigade stuff was was in the '60s. Yeah, you know, late '50s he really started doing a lot of um, residential projects, and um, and he kind of leveraged the East Coast connections and uh, and just you know kept knocking on doors, you know, and and uh, and that just that and then he did the Garden Club. Uh, and that was another very blue-blooded group of Oregonians that liked what he did and, uh, and, and you know, just kept them going. Uh, but then my mom kind of took over. I mean, she, it, by, by most accounts, is kind of more of a baller than my father. She's a dermatologist and uh, specializes in contact dermatology and uh, is also a, an amazingly charismatic figure. I would like to think I'm a mix of them. And in my mind, I'm more my mother, but I, in my heart, I, you know, I know that I'm more my dad. Uh, but she, too, is uh, you know, very accomplished, uh, a teacher, uh, a leader, and a mentor for women. Uh, my parents were 
they were big shots. I can remember we were on NATO Parkway, which used to be called Front, I think, by my dad and I, and we were behind a limousine, and the light turned green, and the limousine didn't move, and the back door opened up, and this big guy comes out, and he comes to the window, and it's the governor, this guy named Bob Straub, and he's like, John, you old son of a bitch, how you doing? And I can remember just looking over at my dad, just being like, holy shit, this guy is the man. Yeah, so, um, so I, you know, and, and, and obviously their accomplishments uh, rubbed off on me, and I, I made the big mistake, as many kids in privilege do, of, of uh, you know, being on third and thinking you hit a triple. You know, I did, there was nothing that I did that got me into the west side or got me into this rare air, uh, but I certainly thought there was. I certainly felt entitled. I mean, we get so many kids that come out of these culinary schools, and one of them just closed. You know, the uh, Cordon Bleu just closed, and I think there's two others. It's, a, it's like a hydra, you know? They just keep popping up. And most of these kids, they suck, you know? And they're coming to me, and they've got $40,000 worth of debt, and yeah. no one's going to give them a job. And if they do, they're going to get $11 an hour, and, you know, someone's going to hand them some crummy blow, and they're going to be miserable and strapped to the restaurant and, you know, be out in three years. Yeah. Um, it's, industry. it's a horrible industry. And I don't have the chops to really be top tier. Uh, I have a family. I don't, I'm not as hard a worker as I'd like to be. Uh, I'm scatterbrained and um, probably, probably a little ADD. I mean, isn't everybody, but you know, there's a lot of cooks in town that, that really hustle that I really admire. And, even still, they're breaking their backs for 10%. You know, there's a couple restaurants in this town that kill, but just a couple of them. And a really good, successful restaurant, 7 to 10% profit. So if you're talking about my restaurant, <clears throat> and let's say we make anywhere from 1.5 to 2 million a year, which, you know, roughly, uh, I mean, and I have three business partners, or two business partners. Right. We call it, you know, velvet, velvet leash. You know, just enough to kind of keep you in. Uh, it's not its not bad enough that you really need to start looking, but it's certainly not enough to pay for Ivy League schools. Uh, so, yeah, I, I felt like, you know, somebody needed to throw a little cold water on that because I just didn't think it was really fair for people to have these, these dreams without understanding that it's brutal. And I think a lot of people write that. A lot of people write that essay. So Leather does private events, and if you're lucky enough to go to one of these things, you may end up going to one of his weed dinners. We talked a little bit about that. I've done a lot of I've done a lot of dinners. Uh, private events. Private events. <laughs> uh, anywhere from twelve to seventy-five people. The seventy-five person one was madness. Uh, it went really well. Uh, but yeah, I love doing that. And I always start these things out by saying, look, anybody can get as high as they want. But my job is to have you have a nice experience without like turning into yourself and freaking out. There's plenty of everything. If you want more, tell me. Remember, this is going to take about 45 minutes. And so I really feel strangely because this is different than the rest of my life and the rest of my my path, but I feel a, a, a covenant and a responsibility to look after people with these weed dinners. So weed is fat-soluble and alcohol-soluble. 
So you can either infuse it into to coconut oil or pork fat or butter or whatever with heat, or you can jack it into liquor with thyme. Also heat if you want, but the heat kills the alcohol and any sort of flavors. So I made a tincture, which is alcohol and weed and some other things, and gassed it with uh, nitrous oxide. And that kind of gets it right into the booze. And then I use that tincture to paint a pork loin. I did that for about three days, and then I smoked it. So like three pieces of this thinly sliced pork loin, and you could feel it. And then I did some infused pork fat, and I poached pork in it. And that's, that's an old-fashioned t- technique called riette. And so we did a little of that on a piece of toast with, um, with uh, some pickled rhubarb. Then the, uh, the cured pork loin with a little small salad. Uh, and then I did a chicharron, which is like pig skin, fried pig skin. And I made a salt with hemp seed because I like to use the whole plant and not always psychoactive stuff. And then the last thing was a little quince tart with uh, foie gras, infused foie gras terrine that was frozen and then shaved over the top. So, yeah, I love, I love doing this. I think it's a really, really exciting kind of frontier in food. Uh, I feel like I have a little bit of a head start and, a, and not a unique but a, an unusual perspective on it. So going back to that percentage discussion, if there's any chance that I'm going to do anything that will pay for a fancy college, it'll probably be with weed. And so we're, <laughs> well, we're going to try to start a product line. And the product line is called Wezer. Uh, W-E-Z-Z-E-R. I had a friend growing up who couldn't say my name. So he said, Wezer, Wezer. And I like the the Z. You know, I think it's kind of onomatopoetic, a little fuzzy. Um, So we're going to do four things to start. We're going to do a burnt caramel and then an ice cream out of that caramel and then that pork riette, which we'll call potted pork. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. And then we'll do a mayonnaise. Uh, because I think people are tired of cookies. My wife and I met in college. I've been with her longer than I've been without her. And um, uh, we met in a way that's kind of mystical. Um, she, I was working at a restaurant my junior year, the summer of my junior year, and I met a guy named John Barnes, and he and I became fast friends and mountain biked together and spent a lot of time together. John knew my wife from Michigan, where they spent summers uh, near uh, the largest city is Traverse City. But these kind of like Michigan lakes and the cottages there and the experiences there resonate with the people that, that, that go there, you know, and they, they, you know, they go up there for the summers. And again, it's, you know, it's a fairly, fairly, a rare group of people, you know, it's mostly white affluent people that, you know, have a lot of things in common. So they have rich experiences growing up. And Courtney and this guy, John, uh, were also friends separately. I didn't know Courtney. I didn't know her brother because I was a bouncer in Boulder as well. Um, and he was a, a, a musician. Uh, so Courtney and John are at a party in Michigan uh, that summer after he and I had met. And he is saying to her, you've got to meet my friend Leather. John Barnes. John Barnes. This guy, John Barnes. He's like, okay, okay. And he's getting drunk. It's like, you got it, and just kept kind of going. And then finally, he's like, John, I've got it. When we go back to Boulder, I'll meet him. And so then that night, he died in a car accident. And uh, 
so Courtney went back to school and pretty much just whatever, forgot about it. And this guy's girlfriend came back a month later, and she was living with Courtney, had her birthday, and she said, oh, maybe I should invite Leather. He was a friend of John's. And Courtney's like, what? <laughs> and she said, well, John told me to meet him on the night he died. It was the first time I'd ever heard his name. And so... This is real? This yeah, yeah. And so I went to this party, and uh, I had hair then, and it was big, like really big. Because, uh, uh, and I, I don't know, I was, you know. When was this? This would have been 92, maybe, 92. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and according to her, and I, 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 I hope I'm not embarrassing her, but according to her, I walked in, and, and she was like, boom, you're that's that's for me <laughs> and she didn't know who was I was I, I, I'd like to think it was the hair uh, but I had hair it never would grow down it just kind of went out there's a term for that but it was you know it was just puffy and so I, I don't know maybe it was striking it was fuller than it is now certainly um, but yeah we started talking and then I think she asked me out uh, and I was still kind of like trying to be a player and smooth and she the night that we went out for the first time she came over and spent the night and I don't think left that's it leather stores great guy my name is Gregory Day you've been listening to the weekly Portland podcast we'll be here next week please join us When I talk to cooks, I always talk about their bag of tricks. And what you do is you, especially when you're starting out, you just got a little bag. You just got a little bag, right? Yeah. And so you go to somebody and you steal all their tricks. And you put them in your bag. And when you got them, then you go on. And then you, you know, you build, you make your own bag. And then once you've got your bag, then you look in it, right? And you shake all your shit around. And then you pull out the stuff you like.